You're tuned in to the Tokyo Living Podcast, where we help you live a healthy and enjoyable life in one of the most amazing cities in the world. Craig Humble is a resident of Japan of over 23 years and is a competitive bodybuilder. On this episode, Sam and Craig discuss his training and competition career and how bodybuilding has impacted other aspects of his life. Tokyo Living is proudly brought to you by Club 360, changing lives through health and fitness. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Tokyo Living Podcast. Well,、oh, thanks for having me.、Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. So,、uh, I'm Canadian originally from Vancouver. I lived in Tokyo for about、uh, 23 years now.、Um, originally came over as a student、um, doing an undergrad exchange program down at Osaka University. It was one of those things where、um, when I was going to university,、um, people that had been on exchange, when they came back, were doing an information session. And I happened to pop into it. I said, Oh, it'll change your life. And I was kind of like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. But it sounds like you know, a good time. So, Um, applied for it, wound up getting it, got Japan, which was my first choice,、um, and then spent a year in Osaka doing an exchange program down there. While I was in Osaka,、um, I was、uh, bonding with my fellow、uh, foreign exchange students and、uh, actually tore my Achilles tendon playing,、um, playing basketball with,、uh, with the guys. So then wound up having surgery and getting to experience a whole bunch of stuff in Japan that people don't usually experience when they're on exchange. Um, however, that turned out to be a real blessing in disguise because without being able to go anywhere, do anything naturally, that meant that I was studying the entire time. So it really helped me to sort of crack,、um, you know, the kanji code、yep. um, and, and build vocabulary and be able to converse better in Japanese. That then led to a scholarship. So I came to, I came, went back to Canada and then came back to Japan for grad studies.、Um, studied at a place called Hitotsubashi University here in Tokyo for a couple of years. Um, and then I、uh, got into the banking industry、uh, following that. So I started in banking in 2004, um, originally with Citigroup, and then with a couple other firms since then.、Um, the, um, I started out in、uh, fixed income sales because I really like talking to people, and、um, I thought that that would be a good use for that. But then once they got the spreadsheets in front of me, I sort of fell in love with the spreadsheets and、um, became a Discovered that、um, you know, some of the things that I was able to do in spreadsheets and whatnot were probably more suited to the role of trading.、Uh, so I've been a fixed income trader for the past, I guess, 15 plus years now.、Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that.、Um, so that's the professional side. Yeah. And actually, when you said、uh, yeah, you tore your Achilles, which is a horrible、uh, thing to happen,、uh, I thought that was going to be the start because whenever you talk about your bodybuilding, it's like I tore my Achilles inside. It was just stuck to the bench press for the,、uh, the next nine months. But、uh, yeah, yeah, your bodybuilding uh, side, uh, well, I mean, what,、um, what did you do athletically growing up? Did you play sports? Did you play hockey like most Canadians? What,、uh... Yeah, well, naturally, that's in the DNA, right? So,、uh, yeah. so in my younger years,、um, it was primarily hockey and skiing.、Um, and then Uh, when I got into high school, I started to do Taekwondo because that was around about the time that all the martial arts movies were really famous, Tough Forest and all that jazz.、Um, and then、um, following that, when I got into university, that started to、uh, fall to the side.、Um, but that, well, that's when weight training started to come into the picture.、Um, I just liked it because, I mean, it was fun. And then、uh, when I was going to university, starting in the late 90s,、um, That was when Dorian Yates had become Mr. Olympia and all that kind of stuff. So, myself and a couple other friends 
got into training quite uh, quite steadily then. Um, sort of, you know, of course, everyone starts with the training, right? So trying to mimic the um, the uh, workouts that we had seen in the bodybuilding magazines and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, eventually started to realize that, you know, I needed to eat a lot more because I'm kind of a skinnier guy usually. Um, so that uh, involved sort of, you know, learning that I actually had to force me feed myself in order to, to grow, um, which was pretty uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, I successfully both up and then started to cut down. And that, that was right when I came to Osaka. Actually, it was when I was tiding down a little bit because I had become pretty roly poly. Um, Jane Dare got the injury that actually took me out of training for quite a long time. Also starting my career. Um, I found that, you know, I had to spend most of my time learning how to use the spreadsheets and whatnot, but I was just talking about them. Um, and, uh, I wound up getting back into the gym in about 2007. That was around about when Bear Stearns was starting the cheater and the GFC was just about to kick off. Um, I was trading interest rate options at the time. Um, so, you know, there were plenty of times when I would wake up in the middle of the night, sort of check where market levels were and not be able to go back to sleep. <laughs> so, um, gold was 24 hours. So, yeah. you know, I just kind of remembered what I used to do to calm myself when I was uh, younger and that was go to the gym. So I decided I would use that uh, as the opportunity to get back to the gym. And sure enough, that did help. Um, the general pattern that's happened with, um, with training and whatnot is, uh, you know, of course, when you're starting out, everyone tends to emphasize the, you know, the big three or the really basic, right? Um, so I really focused on that for the first couple of years um, when I was getting back into it, focusing mainly on building strength, et cetera. Um, but then I started to discover that I was actually very good at getting strong and not growing, um, which is obviously not what I wanted to do. So, um, so although I was pound for pound quite strong, um, it didn't really, it didn't really, I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So that's when I started to delve more into nutrition, um, and to try to figure out, you know, what piece of the puzzle I was missing there. And then eventually I wound up changing my training style as well. Um, because, you know, lifting five by five may be a great program to start with or, or something like that, but it's not really, um, something that you can expect to build the type of physique that I wanted to build. So. Yeah, sure. And so uh, we mentioned uh, Dorian Yates there. I mean, were you, and you, you said, I guess, uh, copied uh, exercise uh, programs out of magazines and things. Were you sort of influenced? Dorian at, at certain points was famous for do, doing very high intensity, low volume sort of protocol. Did you go through phases of, of doing some of that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I still kind of, I mean, I use, I use, um, concepts that are kind of similar to that today, right? I mean, even though Dorian's style was always, purported to be one set to total mm. failure and beyond right um i mean there was a bit more to it than that yeah it was, it was work upsets or work um war upsets that led up to it um so you know but certainly it was that um you know it was definitely that top set that did it um if you look at the way that the guys that are coming out of the top building bodybuilding camps i'll call them right you know in terms of the guys that sort of have a similar style being coached by a similar type of person so um, the one camp in particular that sort of comes to mind are um, the the guys down in Florida. So that's like Matt Jansen and his crew. Um, and then also uh, those that are training with Joe Bennett, who goes by hypertrophy coach on Instagram. Um, if you look at the way that those guys suggest training, particularly with the larger compound lifts, they 
usually recommend going to, you know, working up in, for example, sets of four until you get up to your working weight. And then when you're working weight, you do a top set, probably somewhere between, we'll call it six and 10 reps, depending on, you know, whether you're doing six to eight or eight to 10, just kind of depends on the body part. And then doing a back off set after that, where you'll reduce the weight a little bit, increase the, uh, the, the reps as well, but still go to failure. Um, and that seems to be getting everybody, you know, pretty good results so on the main pump out, right? Obviously on the isolation lifts, it's a little bit different. You're probably looking for more of a volume based approach on that. Um, yeah. you know, what's the, the general concept being that you want to go and cause damage to the muscle first and then flood as much blood into it as possible after through the higher, yeah. higher volume pump stuff. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of a, I think that bodybuilding has sort of moved in, um, in the direction of there's, uh, there seems to be less of like camp saying, you know, the low volume only or versus, you know, high volume pump work. It's still very prevalent. Like I think that people do have a preference. A lot of that probably depends on their particular body type, but yep. when they get, um, when they get, uh, I think that like, generally speaking, you know, if I were to recommend something that I think would probably work for most people, it would be by combining those two. Sure. Sure. And at what stage did you, I mean, you, you talk about uh, changing your training program up to um, uh, emphasize hypertrophy or, or um, a goal physique. Did you have uh, the idea of um, the competition in mind or where, where did that sort of come into it? Or did you go through stages where, you, you know, you were, you were treating your training just as, uh, I guess, a bit of stress relief and a hobby to a bit more of a um a serious endeavor and then sort of looking towards really taking it to the next level with competition. Yeah, what was that sort of on mind? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just been a progression the whole time. Mm. Right? So, you know, when I started out, it was for stress relief, as I mentioned, like I'm ignoring what my dreams were when I was younger. Right. And just sort of like in terms of the, in terms of the past 15 or so years of continuous training, what, yeah. you know, what it was, it, it was, it was originally started as a stress, relief, right. Um, and then it was, um, the, one of the things that I really liked is I ran a program called five, three, one, I'm sure you're familiar yep. with that, with Jim Wendler. Um, and the thing that was awesome with that is every single workout, you're hitting a PR of some right? Yep. It, it, unless you're doing your debug, right? yep. whether it's a rep-based PR or weight-based PR. And that building of PRs on top of PRs every day is psychologically very good, right? Yep. It makes you feel awesome because you're constantly getting this progress, which then makes you want to train harder, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then, you know, from there, so I, I sort of, I got it. Well, I wouldn't say addicted, but I mean, that's like, you know, a very good, um, that was a very good feedback loop, uh, to have. And then, uh, from there, eventually I ran into the point where I mentioned my nutrition needed to get a little bit more serious. So, you know, started looking at that and then, you know, obviously as you're going along, um, the habits that you start to bring into your life, literally you can be changing one thing every couple of weeks, right? And, you know, when you're adding something new or changing something over the course of time, eventually you wind up as like a guy that sits here and eats six meals a day with everything mm -hmm. way timed and, you know, pre-planned, go through various bulking stages, cutting stages, all that kind of stuff. In terms of the actual, like saying, okay, I'm going to try to compete. That happened in 2014, uh, in September. Um, and what that was is I went and I saw the Mr. Olympia, uh, in person in Vegas, um, for the first time. Um, of course, as a kid, I was always, it was always one of those things that was kind of like bucket list, right? You know, I wanted to go see that show. 
Um, so we went there and the image that I had always had of bodybuilders heading up to this point was that most of them were kind of, you know, narcissistic, like kind of full of themselves, not exactly the type of people that I wanted to hang out. With. Yeah. Um, but then when I went to the expo, um, you know, I really got back wrong. Um, everyone was incredibly welcoming and supportive. Um, and it was, it was a really, really great atmosphere. So I said to myself, all right, I'm, you know, 30, I think it was 30, I just turned 39. So I said, if I put a year into this, right. And, you know, put, go through a big bulking phase and then prep for, for a show, I can do my first, I can do, I can do a show as a master's and see it going yeah. uh, because master's starts. So okay. then I did that. Um, and then. Again, that feedback loop started again. So I won my first show and then I competed in a couple other shows that year and won or placed second type of thing. So the, the feedback from that was very encouraging as well. Um, then I tried the next year competing overseas pretty well there as well. Uh, and then the following year, same thing. Then I've had a couple of injuries recently, placing seven been where I've wanted them to be. But uh, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I've got. I just did my rotator cuff, so um, I'm battling, kind of pushing through that right now. Um, and then when that gets up, we'll see sort of how everything looks once the muscle's back on. Club 360 is Tokyo's premier health, fitness, and rehabilitation center, offering physiotherapy, personal training, group fitness classes, boxing, sports massage, pilates, and nutrition consultations. With two full-time locations in Mota Azabu and Higashi Azabu, as well as satellite physiotherapy practices in Shibukoi and Yokohama. Club 360 boasts a team of high-level practitioners from all over the world, ready to take care of all your injury and fitness needs and guide you on a path towards a healthy and happier life. Come visit us at club360.jp or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and, I mean, going through this process, um, what has that increased focus um, and because it is a very, very focused discipline. Um, what's that done for sort of other parts of your life and uh, your sort of career? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, I mean, I, I can't, I really can't thank bodybuilding enough for what it's brought to my life in that um, because the training and the nutrition is as disciplined and as regimented as it is, um, that's actually sort of formed, that forms the backbone of my life basically. Um, you know, in order to be able to eat six times a day, you're eating every two and a half to three hours, which means that you need to have things quite well planned out. Right. So, um, because everything is very planned out also with the recovery, you know, you need your sleep that lends everything to sort of begin to follow a pattern, mm -hmm. which I'm sure a lot of people think, well, that sounds boring, right. Or like too much work or something like that. But I actually find that I perform best in life when I have that sense of structure and sense of routine in my life. So, sure. um, yeah, so it's brought, you know, it's brought a lot to me. Obviously the fact that I train first thing in the morning, then makes me a calmer person throughout the day, because obviously I let everything out in the morning. Yep. Um, so, you know, I hope that I'm a more pleasant person to be around for the rest of the day. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the friends, the, the, it, it's brought, um, you know, obviously a much broader, um, range of friends into my life as well because you know obviously if you're just in banking you tend to constantly run into the same people etc cetera, etc cetera, whereas this has helped to um you know create i'd say a bit more balance right you know so i have a you know a very different group of friends like a lot of 
a lot of the competitors that are um that compete alongside me are you know service members in the military right or other expats in different industries that have come out um, so it's really great to be able to meet such a broad range of people yeah yeah not very cool um so yeah what what does the training schedule look like for you what's um like off season um so broadly speaking my life is kind of split up into two different seasons meaning off season and competition season um off season for me is anytime i'm not getting ready for a show so that means that um it's not like uh for example uh, an athlete who would have say a, a baseball season and then would have a distinct off season where there's no actual baseball games going on and they may do their training in the off season or may take it easy that sort of thing that's not really what happens in bodybuilding right mm -hmm. because bodybuilding it's the off season where you have to build your size right yeah. and where you have to make those improvements to your body and then the, the the competition season is more about stripping down to be able to show what you've been able to build in the off season so the off season is actually just as important as the prep as the prep season okay so putting that to the side the training is generally uh four or five days a week um and i would say probably about 90 minutes a session and that 90 minute session will be probably an hour and 15 minutes of lifting and then uh 12 to 15 minutes of high intensity intervals at the end of it okay just keep some cardio in um now when we get into competition prep um obviously the, the the training time goes up pretty significantly um i wouldn't train with weights seven times a week but i would train with weights five times a week for sure um and then cardio um can get as high as twice a day where you would do where typically what i do is i do intervals after my weight lifting and then do low intensity steady state in the evenings so you know, you'll have two sessions there. And then even on the days that you don't go into the gym, um, on the two days that I wouldn't go into lift, um, I would still be doing cardio. And there's actually a pretty strong chance I'd go to the gym anyways, um, just to either like work on my posing or stretching, you know, um, some sort of like mobility work. Wow. Um, uh, a lot of uh, questions with that. Um, have you, uh, so, so you generally find that uh, when you go into a, a cutting phase that you, uh, increase the amount of volume. Um, I was actually, uh, sounds terrible. I was in the, up in the middle of the night with my seven year old, uh, seven month old. And I was actually reading a, uh, mass a research review article on that. You know, the, um, yeah, the uh, bodybuilding uh, prep when you're in a cutting phase, increasing volume to uh, maintain lean mass, um, which is again, I was we were talking off air, but yeah, differences between um, bodybuilding and strength and conditioning. Um, for a combat athlete, for example, you would generally use that phase to actually decrease uh, training volume because you're trying to optimize uh, neuromuscular efficiency and readiness to fight. Um, uh, whereas, uh, yeah, I find it interesting yeah, with the bodybuilding tap that having to actually increase the training volume, um, when you're in a, a calorie deficit, um, to try and maintain more of that muscle mass. So I guess because as a bodybuilder, you are, um, 
you have a lot more muscle mass. So the potential for it to uh, decrease quite quickly if you don't have that training stimulus uh, is a lot more than, say, with a fighter that might have a moderate amount of muscle mass. Um, they're not necessarily going to lose that if they drop the training intensity during the cutting fats. Um, I think I think there's a couple of reasons for that, right? Like in the case of an athlete or a fighter, um, that's a performance-based sport, right? So your performance on the day is what matters, right? Whereas with bodybuilders, more often than not, we're pretty much at our most fragile state we could possibly be when we step on the stage. Yeah. We're dehydrated. We have, uh, you know, generally been underfed for 16 weeks, usually. Um, little body fat, hormones all over the place. Right? So it, it's, a very, um, it's a very different focus, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of increasing the volume, it's not so much increasing the volume of the weight training. So, so the way that I look at prep is when you're training with weights in prep, you are trying to remind your body, I need this muscle. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's actually why I don't change. I, I was still setting PRs on deadlifts and things like that five days out of a show in my last prep. Um, and the mentality that I am going in is just, that I'm going in with is I need to maintain every piece of muscle that I have. So I will not tolerate my lifts going down. If anything, they're going up, right? Straight, like, you know, take a big pre-workout drink with a lot of caffeine in it and, you know, crank up the death metal and here we, right? Because that's, yes. that's, what, that's what the mentality is there. Um, then the other variables that you have are you, your, your nutrition, right? Particularly your carbohydrate take. And then your, um, your cardio, right? So in terms of increasing the volume, we can increase the cardio without having much of an impact on our muscle mass, right? And that's kind of, you know, the main variable that we would uh, tweak in terms of activity. But yep. in terms of uh, caloric intake, obviously we have pretty dramatic uh, changes in that between off-season and uh, preparation season. Yeah. Um, I know some physique athletes uh, uh, that do sort of avoid high intensity interval training. Um, that they find the um, the fatigue uh, associated and, and you know, potentially metabolic damage associated with that actually impairs their resistance training program. Have you sort of um, experimented with both taking the high intensity intervals out, and um, I'm sure you sort of played around with that a bit. What? Um, yeah. So uh, what's for you? I've done everything from no cardio and prep and recovering mm -hmm. and, and, and relying completely on dietary changes um, to doing like an hour of low intensity steady state along with say 20 minutes of high intensity intervals, right? So, I mean, I've kind of run the full, the full spectrum there, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of the intervals affecting uh, my training, no, I don't find that. Um, I do that after my weight training, obviously. Right? Yeah. So the training comes first. And then whether or not my intensity slips on my intervals, to me, I don't really care about that. Um, what I'm more focused on is just the mentally knowing that I'm pushing as hard as I possibly can during those intervals. Yeah. So if, if there's a slight decline in my performance metrics, like, I don't know, whatever, maybe the, the pedals aren't going as fast or, or something like that, um, that I'm generally not too concerned about that. It's just, you know, I, to me, that's more of a mental thing. Like if you're going for it and you're getting as fatigued as you possibly can, you're in prep, right? Yeah. You're going to be fatigued by definition. 
right? Yeah, so yeah. this is where you have to suck it up and say, okay, but I'm going to make sure I push myself as hard as I can, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the day, I mean, it's pretty miserable in the past, in sort of the final, I would say, four to six weeks. You know, it gets to the point where, you know, like, so you've lost so much fat off of your butt, for example, that if you sit down on a hard surface, it actually hurts, right? Yeah. You know, um, when you're walking, every step is uh, is quite an effort, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is you have to go through that if you want to look good on stage. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's a given. There's no way around. It's much the same as like, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, by definition, you're going to feel hungry. Yeah. That's your body telling you that it needs more. But the whole thing is, is you have to use your mind to overpower that to say, yes, I'm aware that this is what my body's saying, but I want to look like this. So if I want to do that, then, you know, I have to override these searches. Get yeah. a lot of water or something. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've sort of said, I'm sort of seeing, um, my sister-in-law Mickey go eating through it now, uh, in context, uh, contest prep, uh, you know, she's uh, looking pretty, parting <laughs> it very well, of course. And I've seen Jared go through it as well when he was at 360. Um, I've always thought I'd, I'd much, much rather, um, you try and cut, you know, four or five kilos of fluid in, in a week for a fight rather than go through that. It's, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, but I can also see how that um, pushing through that discomfort can really bring a lot out of you. And, and even, like I said, you know, with the high-intensity interval training, um, you know, sometimes it's the same in, in fighting, and I'll sort of, I'll probably continue to draw parallels between the two, but a lot of those um, physiological interventions that we're using end up being more psychological, you know, the event, you know, using them more as a psychological intervention to um, to train that mental toughness. Um that's actually one of the main rewards that I get from bodybuilding is when yeah. I'm on stage, right? And I know that for 16 weeks, I have not had an extra grain of rice than I was scheduled to have. Yeah. And I have not done a single minute less of cardio than what I had scheduled, right? Mm-hmm. And that I didn't lose any of my strength in my lips, right? When, yeah. I have, when I'm standing on stage, I can't control who else shows up, right? So I can't control if I win or if there's somebody better there or if there's judges are people too right so you know if there's like judges that reward this kind of body over another kind of over over another type then there's really nothing that i can do about all i have to do is is take the factors that are within my control which is the dietary and training adherence right and then know inside that i'm looking the best that i've looked right and i have done all of these things correctly and just enjoy that right yeah when you when you have that then it doesn't really matter what placings come anyways Right now, I I hate saying that because it makes it sound like I don't want to win, but that's not the case, obviously. But yeah. I do recognize that there are some things that are a little bit beyond what I can control, right? And especially being here, competing in Japan, as a guy in his mid forties, right, a Caucasian guy in his mid forties that's standing on stage with a bunch of twenty-something Japanese guys. Yeah, right? it's a bit of a different look, right? Yeah. So you know, I, I completely understand if it's like hard to compare or you know if you know if they're better looking than me that's fine i can handle that right yeah but yeah, yeah. i mean uh it's it's i'm drawing another parallel but uh yeah if you're playing yeah football or hockey you know you hit the the park or the you know into the the net you, you score the goal pretty straightforward um 
with fighting, um, obviously not the person out, you're not the person out, but a lot of um, combat sports are uh, judge-based and there's a lot of um, subjectivity in terms of the analysis. And um, every fighter has been um, pissed off at some point uh, by losing a fight that they thought they won. I look at physique sports and I just, it's just a whole other realm of subjectivity. It's just, you look better than you. Now, obviously I'm you know, completely ignorant in this space and, uh, and there's obviously very, uh, specific judging criteria, but at the same time, there must be a massive subjectivity uh, element to that, and uh, it must be difficult to, you know, if you thought you may have, um, you know, you've been the superior, you had the superior physique, and then lost out. Um, that, that must be frustrating. There were uh, there were shows that I was that I've been certain that I won, and that the people around me are certain that I should have won, where I didn't even place. So it, it's you know it's highly subjective and. And it is frustrating, but again, as I said, I always try to focus more on what did I do myself on the prep and how did I look relative to my last show? And, and that's the, that's what I have to go on because yes. I know that I, I was winning shows years ago and I'm better than I was then. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I'm progressing, right? So it's just a matter of, you know, whatever different people showed up, the environment was different. I don't know. It's okay. Um, the, the one thing that I would say is that, uh, in the larger markets for bodybuilding. So for example, in the U S, um, the U S in particular, maybe the UK, because of the size of the population of bodybuilders, the, um, the judging criteria actually seems to be a lot more standardized than it is in places where there are fewer competitors. And yeah, yeah. the reason for that is. In the U.S., for example, there are so many people up there that the very first thing that they check is everyone's condition, right? Is there anyone that, like, is not in shape? And if there's anyone that's not in shape, then they're automatically ejected. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're just, like, tossed to the side. So the very first thing they look at is the conditioning, and then after that, they're like, and also the judges know that in order to get into conditioning, that's actually what you have to work at, right? You can't pick what parents you were born with in terms of body structure, but if you suffered through your diet or not and showed that you want to be on the stage, then that's worthy of something. So they do reward that. So right. that's kind of cool. After that, of course, it's like, you know, muscle mass, symmetry. Those are the types of things, stage presence. Those are the types of things that start to come in. That's quite easy when you've got, you know, 50 competitors in the class. Right? Yeah. On the other hand, when you've got, say, seven or eight guys in a class and you've got one guy who's really big one guy who's really small but ripped and then you've got one guy that's like kind of ripped but not as muscular and you got another guy who's a little more muscular but not as ripped right it becomes much more difficult because you're no longer comparing apples with apples or mm -hmm. oranges with oranges you've really got apples oranges pears everything up there so you know then it becomes a, a like personal uh, preference becomes a lot more reflective in that and of yeah. course this is easy to um discuss I guess for me, as somebody that's competed for a few years and, and, and to be honest, is in mid forties and has that maturity level, right? Yeah. The younger guys, I think it can be quite, you know, quite frustrating for sure. Are you in need of a good massage? Club 360 boasts a team of experienced massage therapists specialized in sports, Swedish, deep tissue, prenatal and postpartum massage techniques, and are able to tailor treatment to your specific needs. Mention Tokyo Living to receive 30% off your first massage for first-time users. Contact info at club360.jp for more details. 
Uh, in terms of like to so the bodybuilding scene in Japan, I mean, you've alluded to it being a little bit smaller and, and that may be affecting um, the judging criteria. You're obviously uh, very familiar with yeah, different uh, uh, camps of uh, bodybuilding in, in the US. I mean, uh, are there some, some big differences between the um, uh, the two sort of scenes? Uh, I don't know, it's two, not two, but Japan compared to the rest of the world. What, uh, how would you sort of describe the Japanese bodybuilding scene? Yeah, so the Japanese bodybuilding scene is, um, it's actually, to me, it feels like it's just start. There traditionally has been a Japanese bodybuilding scene that sort of became popular back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and then there was one federation that pretty much controlled everything. And they, uh, obviously, because they had no competition, um, were, you know, very set in their ways and led, took the sport in a certain direction, which deviated from where the rest of the world led the sport. So um, that resulted in Japanese bodybuilders basically not being able to be competitive overseas um, and not being able to really hold their own, which is really strange because when you look at the impact of, for example, what Chinese and Korean bodybuilders have been able to do, particularly in the past few years, is the international uh, arena has sort of opened up. Mm. Um, everyone's looking great, and they're they're still pretty amazing bodybuilders in, in both of those countries. Yeah. Now, fortunately, um, there was uh, another competing organization that formed here in uh, in Japan, and they have been trying to push the. Um, the sport more in the direction of what the rest of the world is doing. So that's very exciting. And that, that has been sort of recognized by um, us now having events like the Amateur Olympia of Japan, right? And other sort of, um, you know, we now have uh, national pro qualifiers as well. Um, so that organization has been, done, has been doing a very good job to sort of quickly bring Japan back into relevance, right? Yeah. They've only been around for the past five or six years, so um, it's actually created quite a quite a splash. Okay. Um, there's also, and the thing that I kind of like about Japanese bodybuilding is they also have these really different um, competitions that they have, like Best Body Japan and Summer Style. Right now, these are not something that I would be interested. In. Mm. It's, it's kind of more like, a, shall we say, slimmer look. Sure. Uh, and kind of little less um, based on actual. It's more of a beauty contest than a bodybuilding show. But yep. The thing that I like about it is that it gets more people interested in the sport. And there's yep. plenty of people who start out in these best body or in these summer style type shows and then progress into, you know, the NABA, the FWJ, you know, even the JB. So to me, anything that creates more interest in the sport and makes it more accessible is very welcome, right? Mm. Because inevitably that'll wind up with the quality of Japanese bodybuilding getting much better than it has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. So in terms of the scene, I mean, I did allude that it's, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a smaller scene. I mean, bodybuilding is kind of a niche sport no matter where you go. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, um, because it is kind of a unique lifestyle and uh, the sacrifices that are, the sacrifices that are required to compete, I think that they're shared by the people in that community, but then a lot of people outside of the community don't necessarily see that. So they're like, <laughs> you guys are all leftists, right? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, um, 
here in Japan, obviously, there's like a smaller sort of microcosm of like expat, um, you know, or non-Japanese competitors as well. And that's obviously a smaller, tighter community. But I mean, my experience with both the, uh, the, the local competitors here, um, as well as the foreign, uh, for the originally foreign, uh, people that are competing here is that, um, generally speaking, I've met far more nice people, right. than I have had negative experiences. With. So yeah. it's just been, um, as I was saying, like, it, it's been a great way to meet a whole bunch of people from a bunch of different walks of life. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I really value that. I mean, we've talked about, uh, you, you, the, the state that you put yourself in, um, during contest prep and, uh, obviously it's a massive challenge. Are there any other sort of major challenges that you've uh, found through the sort of bodybuilding career and, um, uh, well, injuries, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I blew my ACL skiing and I had to have a surgery from that. So coming back from that, um, I, uh, I, I did my ACL in February, had surgery in March and the very first amateur Olympia Japan was in November. So I had it in my mind that I wanted to do the November show. Um, and most of the literature that's out there for ACL recovery, um, everyone always talks about return to sport. Um, and I think that if you're an athlete um, and you're, say, a basketball player or a soccer player or something like that, that a return to the sport, um, you know, obviously just means when you get the functionality back and enough strength to play your sport back, yeah. not necessarily um, being a peak performance. Um, in the case of bodybuilding, what I found out through my own experience is that it's actually longer than what they would prescribe as return to sport, right? Because they're saying, oh, return to sport is probably about six months, et cetera. Um, in the case of bodybuilding, you have to return to sport first, meaning that you have to be able to lift again. But in addition to that, you have to wait for your body to catch up. So what happened when I tried to, I wouldn't say rush my prep, but when I tried to compete in such a short time frame, although I was able to gain the strength back, I didn't get my size back. So then when I stood on stage, I was like pretty badly imbalanced. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So um, I mentioned earlier that it's done uh, my rotator cuff. Now I just had surgery on that three months ago. Um, but, uh, you know, now using that experience, I know that, you know, okay, so I'm three months out, which means that now I have the all clear to train um, as much as you know, I want or as far as I, like, I can push myself to my limits and that's going to be fine. And I figured that it'll probably take two to three months to get my strength back. In addition to that, that's roughly about the same timeline that I have with the ACL. Um, and then from that point, I know that it's going to take me another six months or so, uh, to regain the size yeah. and get the balance back. Right. So, yeah. you know, with that in mind, I'm probably looking at competing sometime, uh, sometime next year, hopefully earlier half of next year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the injuries are, are challenging and, um, I think that, you know, I can see how they can knock people out because they're pretty, um, <laughs> Especially in the, in the whole, you know, give it to me now type of society that we live in, you know, it, it's, yeah. I think it'd be very easy to throw your hands in the air and, and say, I don't want to do this, especially you know, if you've got a year and a half recovery before you can do a show again. But I mean, bodybuilding is a sport really that's measured more in like decades than months, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, a bit of a, Bit of a different mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Club 360 are proud to announce the launch of our online corporate ergonomics and wellness program. This program is delivered in bite-sized chunks of one to five minute video clips every day for 12 weeks and covers topics such as pain, injury prevention, desk setup, productivity, all-cause mortality, as well as a guide to 20 easy-to-implement desk-based exercises to keep you active throughout the workday. We also have an optional test and certification available. Contact info at club360.jp for more details. So, uh, Greg, if, um, say someone has uh, either lifted throughout their, their life, they've you know, played sports uh, when they were younger and uh, they've, they've done resistance training as part of that, or they've sort of got into the gym in adulthood and they've, um, yeah, they've built up uh, a decent sort of background in training and they've you know, maybe sparked, or maybe even this uh, conversation, seeing the amazing stuff that you've done has sparked um, uh, an interest in bodybuilding. Um, and maybe they just, you know, think, oh, you know, have I got the right physique? Have I got enough size to actually cut down and, 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 um, uh, make a realistic attempt at bodybuilding competition? Um, what, what would you recommend for people, you know, thinking about maybe getting into it? Sure. So a couple of things. Um, the first thing that I would recommend is go see a bodybuilding show, uh, because a lot of the times I think, um, if you haven't been to a show in person, it's kind of hard to really understand what it's about you know when you see the um when you see the pictures and all that, that that's one thing but you know when you actually go to the show and and you can feel um the atmosphere uh it's actually a lot more exciting than when you know you just see something on tv or a 20 second snippet there or a picture of somebody on instagram right yeah yeah for sure and uh if i were to uh recommend what kind of shows to go see in japan um i I don't even know if I'm allowed to do this or if I'm going to get flack for this someday, but FWJ, um, that's Fitness World Japan. They're the ones that run the IFBB Pro League qualifiers here. Um, they have some very big shows, like they have a Japan National Pro Qualifier in May. They also have Amateur Olympia, which is usually around November type area. Um, those two shows are amazing if you want to go to see them. Pretty expensive to go to, uh, to be honest, but... Um, it's pretty, you know, it's kind of well worth it. Or, um, another thing that's a really good kind of, uh, cheaper way to do it is instead of going to the actual show itself, um, you'll see actually behind me, my background says blaze open <clears throat> blaze open is the regional qualifier that's immediately before the national show in May. So a lot of the same competitors are competing at the blaze open, um, because you have to do a regional show to qualify. So. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a way that you could go and, you know, go see a, a smaller show, uh, but still be able to feel the environment and not necessarily break the bank when you see it. Yeah. Um, the reason why I recommend that too is also because when you get there and you see all of the people competing, it may make you feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of, well, there's actually people of all different sizes, right? People of all different shapes, people of all different conditioning that are doing this, right? So I think that it helps you to understand a little bit more that you don't have to necessarily look like Mr. Olympia just to start bodybuilding. Yeah, sure. And, um, and that's a really big thing because in order to become a pro in bodybuilding for a male, it generally takes five to 10 years of competing. So five to 10 years of competing. So that means that if you start out and you don't necessarily win your pro card in your first year, you are not a failure, right? you're pretty much on par, 
right? Yeah, it's just... There's so many things that are involved in the sport, whether it's, you know, the whole, okay, so, I mean, obviously there's the training, there's the nutrition, but then there's posing, and then there's stage presence, and then there's just stuff like that. Like, when you look at the guys um, who have never practiced posing or anything, and they get on stage, they're shaking, they may have the best physique, but if they're shaking and they don't know how to pose correctly, then they're not going to look as big or as confident or carry the same air, you know, so all that sort of stuff that comes into play. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would really suggest getting up to go see a show and just kind of relax and understand that you don't have to, you know, win everything straight from the get-go in the very first show. And actually, there's a lot more involved to it than what you might think. Yeah. With that in mind, and the fact that there is so much involved as well, I would strongly recommend hiring a coach. And yeah. That's simply because uh, um, what happens with a lot of people, uh, even if they're quite well versed in nutrition, is especially when you get into the last four to six weeks, where I was saying every step is an effort. Um, when you get into that sort of uh, situation, you need an objective pair of eyes to tell you what's going on with your body. Everyone has this. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times that I've done shows, I mean, I know that in that last four to six weeks, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and I'm going to say, oh my God, I still have so much more fat to lose. What am I going to do? And then the next minute I'll look at myself and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so small. I've lost all muscle. What am I going to do? And then yeah. the next second, I'm going to look at myself and say, hey, I'm actually looking pretty ripped. Like the way this new vein and this new striation is coming through, et cetera, et cetera. It's just all over the map. Right. Yes. So you don't have someone to sort of write the ship and make sure that you're headed in the right direction. Um, I think it can be quite, can be quite challenging. Um, fortunately, because of the internet and stuff, there's a lot of, uh, people that do coaching online, um, and all, you know, obviously there's some coaches that are better than others. I've been lucky and I've worked with, um, you know, uh, some good coaches in the past, actually some of the last round. So, so yeah. For those that are looking for it or interested, I do coach people. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I mean, a, a good segue to um, maybe how it sort of might, uh, start to wrap things up. Um, if people are interested in, um, yeah, maybe they're local in, in, in Tokyo and they want to connect and uh, and maybe um, get you on uh, to do some coaching, um, or they just want to uh, maybe see you with your shirt off and uh, see some pictures. Uh, Where's uh, you, do you sort of post much uh, bodybuilding content of your own uh, through social media or anything like that? Or yeah, so I've got an Instagram account. Um, yep, it's just at Craig Humble. Yep, easy enough to find. Um, I, I actually just made a post the other day saying, you know, make sure that you take a lot of pictures when you're prepping or dieting for a show because when you're in the off season, you know, sometimes you struggle for things to post because you don't look as good. Obviously. <laughs> kind of where i'm at now so obviously the posting frequency is a little bit less than what i would like it to be yeah um, when it comes around to competition season i think that this is probably the case for every bodybuilder that's on it yeah um, when you know when it comes closer to shows and stuff the post frequency gets a lot more um i do have some stuff that's kind of interesting that i think people might look if you scroll through my page i've got uh for example in the last prep that i did I've got all of the changes that were made to my nutrition, as well as, you know, what sort of training I was doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's all uh, listed and out. I did sort of like weekly updates sort of course of my last prep last time. So if you want to get an idea of what, um, what the process looks like, that's one place that you can start. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. 
Well, um, we're, we're actually going to uh, sort of pause the, the mic and uh, we're going to, Craig and I will just talk a little bit more uh, in terms of training for anyone who's uh, still listening uh, and uh, would like to hear a little bit more about uh, Craig's training and uh, uh, and hear a bit more of the sort of nerd side of the bodybuilding. But um, for everybody else, thank you for listening. And, uh, and Craig, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing your journey. It's uh, amazing what you've, you've done. And um, yeah, we wish you all the very best uh, with your uh, your next competition and, um, yeah, with your career going forward. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Cheers. Thanks, Craig. Thank you for listening to the Tokyo Living Podcast. If you enjoyed the content, we'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you'd like to enjoy your podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on the next episode. Have a healthy and active week.